This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, from time to time, I've been briefly mentioning that aside from giving a voice to some cartoon characters on series like Care Bears, The Busy World of Richard Scarry and Rupert, I've never had the opportunity to be involved in a radio drama or comedy. And i got to tell you, I'd love to have had the experience of gathering in a studio or, as in the old days of radio, on a stage in front of a live audience with script in hand making that story come to life. Now, the recent death of Neil Simon made me pause and think of the roles that I had played in some of his creations. I played one of the two characters in The Sunshine Boys at the Kawartha Summer Festival many years ago, and I had a couple of scenes in the Neil Simon made-for-TV movie Laughter on the 23rd Floor. I played the role of Walter Winchell, the gossip columnist in the 40s, opposite Nathan Lane, no less. And while I listened to the shows, particularly the comedies, I'm always kind of pleased when one or another of the seasoned veterans blows a line and you hear them scrambling to either cover it up or have a ball incorporating it into the fun of the show. Now, while I'm at it, let me be a name dropper here and mention the fact that I was in an Academy Award-winning Best Picture with Denzel Washington. I was the ring announcer for The Hurricane, the story of Reuben Carter, who was wrongly convicted of a crime and only saw light of day because several Canadians fought for the unjust decision and eventually got him out of jail. Just a quick short story about that shoot. For my scene, it took place in a large warehouse in West Toronto. There were two rings set up inside the crowd, about 400 extras seated for the fight scene. And I was called into the ring by a production assistant who said, the director, Norman Jewison, wanted me to go over the blocking for the scene, and we were just about to shoot that. So here I am in an old tuxedo, holding onto the microphone, which was hanging from the middle of the ring, and there was the star of the show, Denzel Washington, and in magnificent shape, I must tell you, going over the intricately choreographed moves with his sparring partner. As I'm standing there, I noted with alarm to myself, hey, he's going to bump into me. And seconds later, that's exactly what happened. He stopped boxing, turned to me, and over his shoulder said, Hey, sorry, man. So there's the story, and the reason I can boast to friends, Oh, yeah, I uh, bumped into Denzel Washington the other day, and we exchanged a few words. <laughs> well, okay. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, well, I'll take a little uh, trip to start him there. And now, it's on with the show. At the half hour, we're going to present X-1 and the creepy tale of a boy who wakes up on his birthday again and again. Sounds a bit like the movie Groundhog Day, doesn't it? Well, we'll check that out later, but right now, it's a trip back to 1953 and the Jack Benny Show, and it's all they're all set to give you their version of the movie, Wings of a Hawk.
program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Bay, Bob Crosby, the Sportsman Quartet, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, for 20 years, I have been introducing the star of our show, and after all this time, you'd think I'd run out of nice things to say about him. Well, I have. So here he is, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don... That wasn't a very nice introduction. Well, I'm sorry, Jack. After 20 years, I just couldn't think of anything new. Oh, you couldn't, eh? Well, Don, I'm sure that if I were introducing you, I wouldn't have that trouble. Oh, oh, yes, you would, Jack. You've been saying the same things about me for years. Now, I'll bet you can't say anything that I haven't heard before. Oh, yes, I can, Don. What? You're fired. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll proceed... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jack. You're not serious, are you? Well... You can't fire me. After all, I've got a wife and three chins to support. <laughs> Don, Don, stop worrying. You've been with me for 20 years, and I hope you're with me for another... Oh, hello, everybody. Well, hello, Dennis. Well, hi, kid. Oh, by the way, Dennis, you weren't at any of the rehearsals this week. Was anything wrong? Oh, no, Don. Mr. Benny gave me a few days off so I could go away for a little vacation. I sure enjoyed myself. I went fishing on Lake Mead. You know, I wish I could go away and do a little fishing. It's one of my favorite sports. What a thrill it is to hook a silvery rainbow trout. One of nature's loveliest creations. What a sight as it breaks the water in a shimmering shower of glistening drops and the sunlight reflecting on its iridescent beauty. Look how he describes the fish. Me, he can't say anything nice about. <laughs> how do you like that? What are you mad about? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Oh, say, Dennis, how long were you at Lake Mead? Oh, we were there for a whole week, and I spent all my time out on the boat. A whole week on a boat? Avast there, you landlubbers! Larboard the starboard and drop the anchor! Look, Dennis... Shimmer the timbers and man the pumps so we'll all draw like rats! <laughs> Dennis, that's enough. Ahoy, my heart, he's batting down the hatches and pooping down the poop deck! <laughs> Enough, Dennis. Do you hear? Mr. Christian, stow that talk, or I'll swing you from the highest yard arm in the British fleet. Oh, for Don, see what you can do with her. Not Dennis. Jack's right. Why don't Let you... Let the men mutiny me, hearty, and don't worry, the ship may be rocking and pitching, but I'll sail it through this hurricane or... 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 Dennis, what's the matter? I'm seasick. <laughs> Good, good. Now, look, Popeye, it's time for your song. So let's have it. Aye, aye, sir. Because you're mine, the brightest star I see looks down my love. And envies me because you're mine, because you're mine, because you're mine. A breeze that hurries by becomes a melody and why? Because you're mine. 
because you're mine. And when we kiss, that isn't fun to hear. It's only my poor heart you hear. And it's a flaw because you're mine. I only know for as long as I may live. Ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, we're going to do our version of that exciting new picture, Wings of the Hawk, which was produced... Say, Jack. Huh? Oh, what is it, Bob? Well, before you go into that sketch, I'd like to ask you a little favor. A favor? It's really not for me. It's for my brother, Bing. You see, he just built a brand new supermarket here in town. Bing built a supermarket? Mm Mm-hmm. Grand openings tonight. And there's going to be lots of celebrities there. And Bing said that he'd appreciate it if you'd come and help out. Well, well, does he want me to play my violin? No. Oh, he just wants me to tell jokes. No. Well, then what does he want me to do? Buy something. (laughs) Well, he's got a fat chance. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe I will drop around. But, Bob, I can't understand. With all the deals that Bing has... Why does he want to fool around with a supermarket? Well, Jack, this isn't just any old supermarket. It's a super supermarket. It's big, you mean? Big. Why, at one end, you can buy strawberries, and at the other end, they're out of season. (laughs) Gee. Why, you have to go through the frozen food department by dog sled. (laughs) No. And when you cross over into the meat department, you lose a day. Well, look at Bob. Now you're exaggerating. But I'll talk to you about it later, Bob, because right now it's time for our play. Oh, the sketch, huh? Yes. Tonight we're going to do our version of Universal International's Technicolor production, Wings of the Hawk. Dan, I heard that picture just chuck full of adventure and excitement. And how? You know, the other night I took Mary to see it, and she sat on the edge of the chair all through it. She had to. You only bought one ticket. True, true. Now, Bob, Don, and Dennis, you all have important parts in this play. Bob, you have the role of a colonel in the Mexican army, a cruel, ruthless, greedy man who lets nothing stand in his way. 
And I'm going to take the part Van Heflin played, that of a rough, tough gold prospector, Irish Gallagher. You're Irish Gallagher? <laughs> That's right. Oy vey. Never mind. Now, Dennis, in this sketch, you're going to play the part of an old, old prospector. See? Then you come in later as a Mexican bandit. Gee, two parts. It's hard to believe I can sing, too. Yeah. Now, where's Mel Blank? Here I am, Jack. Folks, it's Mel Blank. Give him a big hand. We're all going to be in the play Why did you give just him applause? Don, I have to It's in this contract You mean you give him money and applause too? No money, just applause <laughs> Look, it's getting late So Don, set the scene, will okay. you? Okay Now, ladies and gentlemen We present our version of Universal International's exciting adventure story Wings of the Hawk <laughs> Our story takes place in Mexico years ago. It's a time of war and revolution, of the countries being torn by the bitter struggle of the insurrectos against the federal troops. My name is Irish Gallagher. My partner, Don Carlos Wilson, and I were prospecting for gold in the Mexican hills. Don Carlos Wilson was a hard worker. Day after day, he dug under that blistering sun, and I never left his side. I couldn't. He was the only shade for miles. <laughs> we worked on and on with only an occasional interruption. Irish! Irish! It's the Federalist and the Insurrectos! Keep digging, Don Carlos. But they're shooting at each other. We're right in the middle. <laughs> oh! oh! What have got me in the arm? Keep digging. Oh! Don't Cut me in the leg! Keep digging. Three days later, Don Carlos was still standing, but there was very little shade. We kept looking for gold, but after two months of fruitless effort, Don Carlos and I found ourselves walking the streets of Tampico. Well, Irish, looks like we're about the end of our rope. Yeah, this is awful. No money, no equipment, no place to sleep, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Now, let's see what we can do in this saloon. Hey, the place is quite crowded. Hey, barmaid! Barmaid! Si, senor, what will you have? Give me three fingers. Three fingers of what? Just three fingers. I'm hungry. <laughs> if I don't get something to eat pretty soon, I... Hey, I'll... aren't you the one they call Irish Gallagher? That's right. And this is my partner, Don Carlos. He and I came down here looking for gold. Yeah, gold. Every time I think of it, I go crazy. Gold! Gold! I can see it now. There it is. There it is, and it's mine. It's mine. Gold. Gold. Put that down. That's the cuspidor. (laughs) 
know, sister, he goes crazy every time he thinks of gold. Well, does not gold mean anything to you? Eh, I can take it or love it. I mean, leave it. <laughs> Come on, Don Carlos. Let's get out of here. Wait, wait, Irish Weirdluck. See that little fellow over there? That's Goldbug Day. <laughs> yeah, he was Goldbug Day. A fabulous old prospector who found gold every time he went out. Don Carlos introduced me to him. Goldbug Day? Want you to meet Irish Gallagher. Howdy, bub. <laughs> Bug, I hear that you know all about the gold in these parts, and I thought maybe you'd come up into the mountains with us. Sorry, son, but I'm too old for that now. There was a time when I used to go up in them there hills, stay for months and months at a time, but then it would get me. I was only human, you know. I'd have to come back. Be back in town with a load of gold and a couple of nights, and I'd blow it all in. Women, eh? No, Kleenex. I've got hay fever. <laughs> Well, look, Bug, if you won't go with us, maybe you can tell us where we can find gold. Why, sure. Here's a map of old Mexico. See? You can't go wrong. You take the main road through Tampico till you pass El Paso. After you pass El Paso, you go through El Thruo and turn left at El Lefto. <laughs> what if we turn El Righto? That's El Rongo. <laughs> Why don't you come and show us the way? Nope, I'm too old for prospecting now. Well, we go alone, Irish. Tell me, are you sure there's gold there? Yes, sir, lots of it. Enough to make one of you rich for the rest of your life. Only one of us? Yep. <laughs> I hated to do it. John Carlos was my best friend. I still felt I might need a guide, so I made one more attempt to get the old prospector to go with me. Are you sure you don't want to come along with me? Nope, can't do it, but I'll see you later. You will? If I come back on page 12 as a Mexican bandit. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Those four Mexicans who just came in, they look suspicious. Who are they? Oh, they're harmless. They're just wandering troubadours. Oh. Buenos dias, amigos. Mm, we think. Come on, boys. Let's have a song. the spot the old prospector marked on the map. I began digging, and sure enough, I struck it. 
a six-foot vein of pure glittering gold. It was so beautiful, I couldn't understand why people get mad when you call them yellow. We started to dig out some of this fabulous treasure. A troop of horsemen swooped down on us. I realized it was foolish to resist, so I waved a truce flag. As several of them approached me, I recognized their leader as the cruel Colonel Ruiz. And I knew I'd have to play it cagey. Senor Hombre, I hear that here you have discovered gold here. I think, Senor Hombre. <laughs> yes, I would have to play it cagey because he was playing it lousy. <laughs> What did you say, Colonel Ruiz? <laughs> I hear that here you have discovered gold. Gold? There's no gold around here. Senor Irish, we are not ones to fool around, and we happen to know that you have found gold here. All right, so what about it? <laughs> My general has a proposition to make to you. Well, let's have it. Si, los matamos, tendríamos que cargar con todo por la tanto coja usted el oro y matarlos después. What did he say? He'll give you Notre Dame and six points. <laughs> Hmm. Yes, I shot him. I may be Irish, but I need better odds than that. <laughs> but the Federalists had us outnumbered. They killed my workers and took the mine. I had to flee into the hills for my life. After wandering for days, I stumbled exhausted into a camp of insurrectos. At first, they were suspicious. But finally, one of them came over and shook my hand. You want to shake hands? She. <laughs> I consider you my friend? Si. You will always help me? Si. The insurrectos gave me food and drink, and I was about to be on my way, when suddenly there was a stir of excitement. What is it? What's happened? It is our leader, Raquel. She has been wounded. Your leader is a girl? Si, senor. I am Raquel, their leader. Well, I'm awfully pleased. Wait a minute. Weren't you the barmaid? Si, senor. But on this show, everyone has to play two parts. Uh, Raquel. Raquel, there's blood on your shoulder. I know. I've been shot. The bullet is still in there. Senor, there are no doctors here and no time to lose. Can you remove the bullet? I'll try. Now, Raquel, there's no anesthetic. And this knife is going to hurt. I know. You'll have to be brave. I will try. Don't lose your nerve. I won't. Okay, here we go. There. It's out. Pick him up. He fainted. When I came to, Raquel and I were alone, and she was stroking my hair. She was gorgeous, with smooth olive skin, luscious lips, and a figure like Marilyn Monroe. As I continued looking into her adoring eyes, a thought came to me. <laughs> What was so bad about Notre Dame and Six Points? <laughs> Raquel spoke to me. She wanted me to join her band of soldiers. But I was more interested in getting my gold. I turned to go. Someone pulled at my sleeve. Oh, Senor Irish. Senor Irish. What is it? Uh, before you leave, I would like you to meet my little six-year-old son, Tomas. Oh, hello, Tomas. Uh, Tomas, he is learning to be a magician. He does a wonderful act on the stage with his sister. Really? So you're a magician, eh, Tomas? Say. 
Do you have an act? Si. With your sister? Si. What is your sister's name? So. Sue? Si. Well, what do you do with your act? Saw. What do you saw? So. Sue? Sing. Now, wait a minute. Somebody put you up to this. Who was it? Me. You? Sing. Who are you? Sign. Sign? I couldn't sigh straight. <laughs> Suddenly, out of nowhere, the Federals attacked. <laughs> one by one, they cut us down, and then Rockwell was hit. We fought desperately, but Raquel and I were captured and thrown in jail. That night, I couldn't sleep a wink. The cell was cold, wet, and filthy. I didn't mind that so much. But all night long, the wind kept whistling through Raquel's shoulder. <laughs> blindfolded us and marched us out to the courtyard. Oh! Ready! Aim! Wait. You can't shoot me down like a dog. Give me a break. Give me a chance. I tell you what I will do, senor. I give you a fighting chance. You take off your blindfold. Now, here is a weapon for you and a weapon for me. What? You count to ten and may the best hombre win. All right, I'll count to ten. One, two, Three. Ooh, not yet. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Ooh, I think you're cheating. You missed me. That's better. Ten. Ooh. Irish, Irish, why didn't you shoot back? I couldn't. He gave me a knife. As I lay there dying, I reached for a piece of Kleenex. On top of everything else, I caught hay fever. The Jack Show was written by Sam Perrin, Milk Joseph Berg, George Walter, John Tackerberry, Hal Goldman, and Al Gordon, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Be sure to hear The American Way with Horace Hyde for Lucky Strike every Thursday over the same station. Consult your newspaper for the time. The Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is the CBS Radio Network. And KNX Los Angeles. Stay tuned for X-1 next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for X-1, and the show first aired in 1956. In just a moment, X-1. But first, when you hear the hearty laugh and familiar voice of the great Gildersleeve tomorrow night, you know you're in for some hilarious adventures. 
Because whenever Gildy is around, somehow things never seem to go as planned. It might be his impulsive nature, or maybe it's his incurable weakness for the fairest sex, but whatever it is, the great Gildersleeve is bound to keep you laughing for a full 25 minutes. Tune in tomorrow night and meet Judge Hooker, Nephew Leroy, Housekeeper Bertie, and all the rest of the friendly people from Summerfield as they join the great Gildersleeve. Now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, Time and Time Again, by H. Beam Piper. It happened during a routine skirmish in the Great War. Patrols advanced from the defense perimeter under jet cover and preceded by napalm throwers. The enemy defended in depth and mopped up with guided 98s fired from 40 miles to the rear. The blast area was 10 miles in circumference. And the medics didn't find much to pick up over 500 yards in. Come on, come on. All right, now back it in here. Look out, it's lousy with mud. More, more. Now, now cut left. More, hold it. Stretches! Come on, Travers, get those men out. Yes, sir, get a move on, line them up. Come on. Easy, easy, you want to kill them. Okay, take it away. those Joes where they was. Half of them won't last till the plane comes. As long as they're alive, they'll be treated. Get those tags out, Travis. Start taking names. Yes, sir. This one must have been a thousand yards in. Get his dog tag out. What a mess. Here. Hartley Allen, Captain G5 Chem Research AN 73D. Number SO 23869403-J. Hartley? Allen Hartley. Oh, that must be the Hartley that wrote uh, Children of the Mist and Conker's Road. Never heard of him. Major. Major, I think maybe he's partly conscious. Had I better give him another shot? Go ahead, Sergeant. There isn't much else we can do for him. It's a rotten shame. Yeah, ain't it always. Okay, Captain, let me have that arm. There. God, Tom, Tom. Uh. Get up, Alan. Can't stay in bed all day. I remember that. 
clear as if it were real. Up and at him, hit the deck. Remarkably vivid. Strange. Ellen, are you all right? I'm all right. What's wrong with my voice? Huh? Ah! It's too high. What are you doing? Practicing singing? My voice has changed. <laughs> Is that all? You're growing up. Happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday? Hey, wake up, son. Wake up. I am awake. It's impossible. I, I am awake. Well, the way you slept through that alarm, I'd say it was impossible. Come on, out of bed. I don't understand. You went to bed at a decent hour. You could wake up the next morning. Come on, son. Breakfast waiting. Out of bed or I'll turn it over. All right, all right. It's a dream. Maybe. But you're wide awake now. I am. I'm awake. Well, half awake anyway. That's the bell at St. Boniface, isn't it? What, what day is it? Are you kidding? You forget today's your birthday? No, no. No, I, I didn't forget. Neither did I. Here, son. Happy 13th birthday. <laughs> you won't guess what's in here. A rifle. A light twenty-two rifle. Oh. oh, now how did you know that? I remember it. Did I spill the beans sometime? No. Oh. I could have sworn it would be a surprise. Well, go on. Open it. You like it? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect, Dad. I will have to lay down rules about using it. And I'll have to teach you how to operate it. I don't believe in letting a boy handle a gun until he really knows how. <laughs> if I let you play with that thing before I teach you about guns, you'd blow your head off. I suppose so. I'll be shaving, Alan. Come down to breakfast when you're ready. Well, it's a big day today. You're almost a man. Almost. <laughs> you're still groggy. Snap out of it, Alan. I, I will. There's a dream in it somewhere, but... I'm not sure which. What? Ne ne never mind, Dad. I'll be right down for breakfast. What you gonna do today, son? Well, I want to do some reading this morning. I oh, guess. that's always a good thing to do. After breakfast, suppose you take a walk down to the station and get me a Times. Can you come? What, the Times? Well, they don't deliver. <laughs> Be a good idea, though. Maybe I'll talk to Sam Ashburn about it. Here's a half dollar, Alan. Get anything you want for yourself out of the change. Thanks, Dad. Uh, finish your milk before you go. Oh, <laughs> sure, Dad. Thanks for the money. You're big enough to handle it now. Hurry back. I'd like to finish the crossword puzzle before lunch. Here you are, Alan, one times. Tell your father the puzzle's a stinker this week. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Ashburn. Look out for the trucks when you cross the highway. I'll go across Elton's lot. It's a shortcut. Elton's? <laughs> You'll have a hard time crossing there, son. There's four buildings on that block. I thought they burned down. I've seen them this morning, big as life. I guess that didn't happen yet. What'd you say? N nothing, Mr. Ashburn. I was just muttering. Mm. My days, youngsters talked up. Yes, sir. Bye, Mr. Ashburn. Monday, August 6th, 1945. Okinawa 1, bombing Japan. Hey! Hey, Alan! Huh? Alan, wait up! Hey, Larry Morton! H hi, Larry! Hi, Al. 
You going to Sunday school? No, I have some things I want to do at home. Oh, get him. Fancy pants talk. Things I want to do at home. Oh, go chase yourself around the block. Go jump in a garbage can. Go take a flying jet to the moon. Hey, that's a new one. Flying jet to the moon. You thought up a new one, huh? Yeah. I wish I could stay home from Sunday school when I wanted to. How about us going swimming at the canoe club after? Oh, I wish I could. I gotta stay home. We're expecting company. A couple aunts of mine. Dad wants me to stay home when I come. Aunts are a pain. Nothing I can do. You see the football movie at the Grand? Boy, what a team. Notre Dame. I thought you'd like Cornell. Cornell? Huh. They couldn't beat Vassar. Well, you're gonna go to Cornell, aren't you? Me, Cornell? Fat chance. I'll bet you do. I wouldn't take your money. Well, I know you wouldn't, but you'll go to Cornell, all right. Ha, Cornell. Far above Cayuga's waters, there's an awful smell. Just the same. You'll go to Cornell. Well, yeah, I gotta go. Well, so long, Al. I'll see you. So long, Larry. See you. Stuck in this corner, down let a word that makes him proportion. Titrate. Titrate. T I. It fits. Now, now how, how did you know that, Alan? That? I read it somewhere, I guess. Oh. What you reading now? Tarzan again? No, not, not Tarzan. It's refreshing to see you with a book. Sometimes I think I ought to forbid comic books in the house. Hmm. Yeah, they must be raising the devil with those bombing raids in Japan. How long do you think the war in Japan will last, Dad? Oh? Hmm, I'd say to the middle of 1946. I'll have to invade those islands foot by foot. I don't think so, Dad. I wouldn't be surprised if the war was over very suddenly. How, by magic? <laughs> there isn't a thing on earth will make those Japanese surrender. You expect somebody to make a pass and it'll be all over by this afternoon? Something like that. Mm, I wish you could. A lot of boys dead in the invasion of Japan. Mr. Hartley, excuse me, please. Oh, hello, Mr. Gutchell. That's Frank Gutchell, Dad? That's right. Excuse me. I didn't mean to disturb you, Mr. Hartley. It's all right. Lovely day, isn't it, Mr. Gutchell? Uh, Mr. Hartley, the Lord's Day is always beautiful. <laughs> of course, Mr. Gutchell. Mr. Hartley, I, I wonder if... Uh, if you could lend me a gun and some bullets. My little dog's been hurt and it's been suffering something terrible. Oh, that's too bad. I want a gun to put the poor thing out of its pain. Of course. Yeah. Now, how would a 20-gauge shotgun do? You wouldn't want anything heavy. I was hoping you'd let me have a little gun. Maybe, oh, uh, so big. Pistol? So I could put it in my pocket. It wouldn't look right to carry a hunting gun on the Lord's Day. and People wouldn't understand. That it was for a work of mercy. Of course, I understand. You're, you're a very religious man. The whole world is evil, Mr. Hartley. Yeah, sometimes it certainly looks like it. Well, I have a Colt 38 special from the auxiliary police outfit. Well, that's fine. Now, you've got to bring it right back, Mr. Gutchell. I might be called out. Now, you'll have to promise to get it right back. Uh, Dad, uh, uh, wait a minute. I, I just remembered. Uh, remembered what? Well, aren't there some cartridges left for the Luger? Uh, then you wouldn't be without the Colt. That's right. I have got a German automatic I could let you have. That way I wouldn't get stuck. You'd have to return it promptly, though. Oh, wait, Dad. I'll get it. I know where the cartridge is. Be careful, son. Well, Mr. Gutchell, it sure turned out nice.
Hello, police headquarters. This is Blake Hartley. Frank Gutchell, who lives on Campbell Street, has just borrowed a gun from me, ostensibly to shoot a dog. What? No, he has no dog. He intends shooting his wife. Now listen, he'll walk home. If you hurry, you can get a man there on time. What? No, but I wish you'd get my pistol back to me. It's from the First World War. All right, all right. Then you'll take care of it. Goodbye. There you are. What kept you, Alan? Well, I couldn't find the cartridges at first. I'll show Mr. Gutchell how it works. It's all loaded, ready to shoot. This is the safety. Just push it forward and up. There are eight shots in it. Did you load the chamber, Alan? Sure. It's on safe now. You understand how it works, Mr. Gutchell? Oh, yes. Yes, I understand. Thank you, Mr. Hartley. Thank you, Sonny. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Gutchell. Return the gun when you're done. Yes, I'll be done with it soon. Goodbye. Alan. We shouldn't have loaded that gun. I guess it's all over now. I had to keep you from fooling with it. I didn't want you to see I took out the firing pin. You what? Gutchell didn't want that gun to shoot a dog. He's a fanatic. He sees visions, hears voices. The voices probably put him up to this. Well, I'll submit that any man who holds intimate conversations with disembodied spirits isn't to be trusted with a gun. What are you talking about? While I was at it, I called the police upstairs. I put a handkerchief over my mouth and told them I was you. You? Well, why did you have to do that? I couldn't have told them this is little Alan Hartley, 13 years old. Then suppose he really wants to shoot a dog. What kind of a mess will I be in then? No mess. If I'm wrong, which I'm not, I'll take the rap for it. Dumb kid trick, you know. But if I'm right, you'll have to front for me. You give me a lot of cheap boy hero publicity, which I don't want. This is crazy, Alan. This is absolutely crazy. Maybe. Another complete returns in 20 minutes. Mr. Hartley? Mr. Blake Hartley? That's right. I'm Detective Sergeant Kaborski from Homicide. Here's your Luger. Thank you. I don't know how you spotted that guy, but... When we busted in, he was pointing that gun at his wife and swearing a blue streak because it wouldn't go off. I'm, uh... That I was able to help. Well, they may even have some kind of a citation for you, Mr. Hartley. I, I, I don't think that's necessary. In the department, we figure a little publicity never hurt nobody. Even a lawyer, huh? I really would prefer it if we kept quiet. Well, whatever you say. Uh, we'll want you to drop around in the morning for a statement. I'll be glad to. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Sonny. Uh, goodbye, goodbye, Sergeant. Sergeant. Uh... Why don't you take the citation, Dad? Well... You were right. You saved that woman's life. Now, let's see you put back the firing pin. Sure. Here. All right, Alan. Suppose we have a little talk. I explained everything. You did not. Yesterday, you wouldn't even have known how to take this pistol apart. Today, you've been using language and expressing ideas that are outside of everything you've ever known before. Now, I want to know... I hope you're not toying with the medieval notion of obsession. What? Well, you say I'm changed. When did you first notice this? Last night, you were still my little boy. This morning, I don't know. You've been strange all day. There's been something. Alan, what's happened to you? I wish I could be sure of myself, Dad. You see, when I woke this morning, I hadn't the least recollection of anything I'd done yesterday, August 4th, 1945. 
Oh, that's serious. You don't know how serious. My last memory was lying on a stretcher injured by a bomb explosion. I was 43 years old and the year was 1975. 1975? That's right. You'll be 43 in 1975, but, but... But a bomb? Yes. During the siege of Buffalo in the Third World War. I was a captain in G5, Scientific Warfare, General Staff. Buffalo? You mean Buffalo, New York? There'd been a transpolar invasion of Canada. I was sent to the front to check on service failures of a new lubricating oil. A week after I got there, Ottawa fell and the retreat started. We made a stand at Buffalo and that was where I got it. I remember being picked up and getting a narcotic injection. The next thing I knew, I was in bed upstairs and it was 1945 again. And I was back in my own 13-year-old body. <laughs> oh, Alan, you just had a nightmare to end all nightmares, that's all. I thought it might be that at first, but I rejected it. It won't fit the facts. But it's ridiculous, all this... Battle of Buffalo stuff. You picked up something listening to the radio. All the commentators have been going on about another war after this one. You've just got an undigested hunk of H.V. Callan born in your subconscious, that's but all. that isn't everything. I remember four years of high school, four years at Cornell, seven years as a reporter on the Philadelphia Record, three novels, Children of the Mist, Rose of Death, Conqueror's Road. You think a 13-year-old can dream up all that stuff? But it's the only possible explanation. Maybe, but I can speak five languages today that I couldn't yesterday. French, German, Chinese, Russian, and a little Spanish. Although I've got a Mexican accent you could cut with a knife. But but how did it happen? I, Alan, I, I can't believe it. All I know is here I am. I, I, I've been reading up on time theories. Nobody seems to know much about them. Evidently, time exists parallel as another dimension, and I got kicked backwards along it. But how? Maybe the radiations from the bomb or the narcotic injection, or both together. But the fact remains, I'm here with full knowledge of my future identity. This... This is quite a shock, Ellen. But you do believe me, don't you? Yes, I suppose I must. You seem so strange, as if you weren't my son. I'm your son, all right. Same body as yesterday. I I've just had an educational shortcut. <sighs> Wait a minute. If you can remember the next 30 years... Suppose you tell me when the war is going to end. This one against the Japs, I mean. Oh, sure. Well, a Japanese surrender will be announced at exactly 7.01 p.m. on August 14th. That's a week from Tuesday. A week from Tuesday. You better make sure we have plenty of grub in the house by then. Everything will be closed up tight till Thursday morning. Even the restaurants. I remember we had nothing to eat in the house but some scraps. A week from Tuesday. Well, that's pretty sudden, isn't it? Not after today. What do you mean? What happened today? Oh, plenty. Uh, what time is it, Dad? Hmm? That's 11.16. Is your watch right? What to the seconds, why? Well, it'll come at exactly 11.17.40. What'll come? The radio announcement. What are you getting at? Something important on the radio? Well, we'll see. Well, don't bother, Dad. It won't work. I remember we had a tube burned out. Well, there is something wrong. When is this announcement of yours? No, I remember it. I, I memorized it in journalism school in 1954. What, what time is it? 11.18 o'clock. Breaking into the program now. President Truman has just announced that an atomic bomb has been dropped on the Japanese industrial city of Hiroshima. The bomb was dropped 16 hours ago, and the announcement was delayed to ascertain the results of the explosion. A man named John Howard Peterson read that announcement from the Washington newsroom with NBC. I... I don't believe it. No? Well, listen. But... That's the Burke Platt factory whistle. And the bells of St. Boniface. 
Now, next, the whistle at the volunteer firehouse. You like? Then it's true. It's true. Sure. Then Larry Morton came by on his bicycle. Hey, 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 Al. Al, you hear? You hear about the bomb? An atomic bomb? Yeah, we heard. Boy, atomic bomb. Oh, boy. I gotta go find my poppies on the golf course. Bye, Al. Bye, Mr. Hartley. You knew. You knew about it. The next bomb hits Nagasaki. I thought that stuff about atomic energy was so much fantasy. Was was that the kind of bomb that got you? Oh, that was a firecracker to the one that got me. It was a guided 98, exploded 10 miles away. And that's going to happen in 30 years? I remember it. How about... Well, uh... How about me? Oh, wait, wait. Never mind. I don't think I'd better know when I'm going to die. I couldn't tell you anyway. I had a letter from you just before I left for the front. You were 78 then, and you were still hunting and fishing and flying your own plane. But another war. And fought on American soil. Oh, Ellen, I wish this hadn't happened to you. It happened. I remember it. But if I can help it, I'm not going to get killed in any battle of Buffalo. But if you remember it, if time exists as a parallel dimension... Then every tick, we're getting closer to that Third World War. Dad, you know what I remembered when Gutchell came to borrow that gun? No, I suppose that you suspected him and warned me. No, 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 that wasn't it. The other time, the first time, when I was really 13, I wasn't home. I'd been swimming at the canoe club with Larry Morton. When I got home about a half an hour from now, I found the house full of cops. But if the gun didn't fire... What makes you think it didn't? Gutchell talked the 38 out of you. He went home... Shot his wife four times in the body, once behind the ear, and used the sixth shot to blow his own brains out. That's what you remember? Yes. The cops traced the gun. They took a very poor view of your lending it to him. He never got it back. But here it is. Well, not the way I remember it. But I didn't want you in trouble, so I warned you. Dad, I found out the future can be changed. <laughs> One man can't change the whole future. I stopped a murder and a suicide. I know, but... With 30 uh, years to work, I can stop a world war. I'll have the means, too. The means? Unlimited wealth and influence. I've got a good memory, Dad. I wrote a list out this afternoon. Salt, jet pilot, citation, ponder, middle ground. What is this, a code? Horses. That's a list of Kentucky Derby winners from 1946 to 1970. Huh? You sure? I learned that list on a bet at the Officers Club in Cincinnati in 1971. Assault paid eight to one. You figure out what we can take in. But gambling. Oh, this isn't gambling. It's a sure thing. When we get rolling, we'll make the Rockefellers look like pikers. Hmm. Assault at eight to one. Mm-hmm. I suppose I could scrape up $5,000. Hmm. In ten years, that'll make a lot of money. Uh, any other little thing you have in mind, Ellen? Well, by 1952, we start building a political organization here in Pennsylvania. In uh, 1960, I think we can elect you president. President? Is that going a little too far? Well, why not? Who wouldn't vote for a politician who was always right? Hmm. Besides, that's the one thing we've got to change. In 1960, we had a man in the White House who was good to his wife and sang a nice tenor, and that's about all. He fouled up so completely, we ended up at war. Now, I think... President Hartley might be a little more trusted to take a strong line. But I don't know anything about international decisions. I do. I know all the wrong ones. If we can stop one murder, we can stop a war. It's worth a try, isn't it? I guess so. Hmm. Uh, 
How do I start? Well, as I remember, just after the bomb announcement, you got a phone call from the city fusion party about the next election. Well, there's a lot of talk about a reform ticket. Well, that call is going to be important, Dad. It's the turning point. Now, now you've got to know. There it is. Well, what do I do? Well, answer it. Go ahead. But... Don't worry. I'll tell you what to do. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, this is Blake Hartley. Judge Cribbins. Yes. Uh, just a moment. Alan, oh. he's asking me to run. Oh, my head. Alan. Oh. Alan, what's the matter? Oh. Alan. He passed out. Alan, what do I do now? Alan, listen to me. Alan. Alan, what's the matter? Captain. Captain Hartley. Captain Hartley. He was all right, doctor. I gave him the shot and he was all right. He's dead. All right, Sergeant. Make out the tag. Hartley Allen. Captain. Dead April 8th, 1975. Allen. Allen, what happened? Allen. Allen. Uh, huh? Allen, are you all right? Oh, I did. I've got Judge Crimmins on the phone. What do I tell him? What? what? Alan, are you all right? You passed out. Sure. I'm all right. Hey, today's my birthday, isn't it? What'd you get for my birthday, huh? Don't you remember? The Third World War? What Third World War? Dad, what's the matter? You're looking at me funny. You don't remember. You're back again, aren't you? Back to 13 years old. Sure, I'm 13 today, for corn's sake, Dad. You must have died up there. It was only a mind transfer. That means I'm on my own. I have to do it myself without your help. Help for what? If it's the grass, I said I'd cut it tomorrow. No, no, it's not the grass. I've got to save your life, Ellen. You can't let you die that way in 1975. What are you talking about, Dad? You sound goofy. I've got to change it all by myself. Change what? Never mind, Alan. You don't know yet. Come on. Let's have lunch. Sure, Dad, but how about my present now? What'd you give me for my birthday, In huh? a minute, son. Go on in. Okay, well, hurry up, Dad. Huh? Sure, all right. Hmm. Now, where did I put that list of horses? You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Time and Time Again, written by H. Beam Piper and adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in the cast were Jack Grimes... Peter Fernandez, Joe DeSantis, Joseph Bell, Clark Gordon, Herm Dinkin, Dick Hamilton, and James Dukas. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production.
Thank you for listening. And thanks as well to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.